everybody, this is Eric for EFP episode 45. Today we're going to be talking about lore at the table. That's right, lore. Lore is different from history. We'll dive into that as we go, but I recently ran a campaign where we are playing demigods and gods. And because of that, I've had to deal with lore a lot more than I was expecting. So I want to give you my tips on kind of how I'm doing it. Many GMs write it all down. Instead, I like to work in reverse. Reverse engineer the problem. Reverse engineer what I'm trying to build for this history, for this lore. Because we're going to talk. You can try to write the history out or the lore out, but I find that player helping create this always means more to them. They have skin in the game. So, let's work in reverse. Now, normally I would give you the topics right away, but instead I want to give you context. So in this game we are playing in Magic and Monsters, Marks of Men, I'm testing my new divinity rules. And in these rules, the players have godly-like powers. They're also kind of against the clock with another series of group, another pantheon trying to become in power, which are the Sons of Zyrocrux, the, the demigods of destruction. And one of them is the Destroyer of Histories. How the hell am I going to do that? So, I decided what this guy does is try to paint himself in the light of a hero, even though he's not. He doesn't have the talent to be it, but he rewrites history. That is his ability. And when he does this, he steals the heroic deeds that other people have done. So when I finally got into combat with him, I actually had him take time to research these people as soon as he found his his name in text somewhere. And he, in turn, took powers from each one of the people to become this amalgamation of a hero. Lore became important for this. I had to think about all the epic things that these heroes have done. And we always read the different history and lore of uh, heroic deeds like Hercules and his trials or his labors. Someone had to record that shit. Or it's tales that were told. So, the tales from the bard and their party the sentient sword that wants tales told about it became this way that Bentelfo has learned what these heroes can do. And he stole their powers for this combat. So the lore he was looking into, true or false, was the lore that he knew. That makes it real. So this is how I was handling it in the game. I took the stuff that they did and made the lore based around them. So now let's... Let's get into the topics. Alright, so now we can dive into the topics. We're going to do a what is lore, player actions, ask the player, build from it, our GM tips of course, and closing. Hope you like this one. It's going to be a little rough, and if I am mixing up lore and history, it's because I myself just came to the conclusion that lore and history is, is different. So, let's start with the first topic. So, what is lore? Well, lore is different than history. The big piece here is that lore is usually passed by word of mouth. Now, history can be as well, but history is usually recorded. 
how does that work exactly? So I thought about things like, you know, the wise men from the Bible um, and how they wrote down what they believed happened or saw happen. Uh, then you have history books growing up on how, like, if you're in the United States, what the Civil War was. But those points of view are written from those specific people. War, a lot of times, is passed down. They are usually ancient things passed from one generation to another. And a lot of times, lore may not be recorded, or at least not recorded exactly. So when you're dealing with lore, I try not to write too much down. I write down bold statements about things. So for example, for this a destroyer of histories, I simply wrote down, Bendelfo is destroyer of histories. He rewrites them in his own image, changing history for himself. I also put down that to him, lore is power. I'd like to keep it open for additions. Even when I'm doing knowledge checks, and if you're playing Pathfinder 2, you know there is actually a lore skill. And they've kind of replaced very specific versions of knowledge, and I love it. It works amazingly. But you can do this too with backgrounds in 5e. People, um, people use backgrounds as the building block in 5e, but they don't use it to actually do anything. Yeah, you get that uh, power that comes with it, and your, your ideals and stuff come from it, but it should do more. Games like Shadows of the Demon Lord take profession, and it becomes what makes your bonuses and negatives uh, for your skills and actions that you take. If you're a lumberjack and you're swinging an axe to cut a tree, you get a boon. If you're also swinging an axe to hit a person, you're probably going to get a boon. If you're scaling trees, perfect. But if you are a lumberjack and you have to work with metal, not something you're probably familiar with, you're going to get a bane. Backgrounds in 5e can do the same thing to help you. If someone is a... Let, let's just say someone has the background of a charlatan, but they don't have all the skills required to be a good charlatan. Just use it like it is a proficient skill. Give them their proficiency bonus. Take intelligence or whatever stat is, you know, suited to your needs and add those together and let them roll their background. I think this is a great way to add depth to a character. If the player can give you a good reason that their background should give them information or should give them an edge in what they're doing, if I can give it to them, that is the point of playing 5e so that it's flexible. So those are the things I like to do for lore. But there's one more thing. If you are talking about lore, you have to remember the lore you give them, players are more likely to repeat. And what I might mean by that is if they are in a dungeon and there is lore about this ancient burial site where the spirits come out like once a month to speak with people, instead of them just going into the dungeon, they're going to take that lore and make the decision of, do we speak to these spirits? Or they're going to take the lore and go, we can't go that day. Well, then you can give them extra information out of a check. And that, that information on the check could be, yes, but when they are there, there are secret rooms you normally cannot find. You get to play off of the player, and they get to lean into your lore without even knowing it. This is a key trick in being a GM. So when you look at your lore, think about, uh, think about handling it that way. You're going to hear a page flip here. I apologize. The last thing I had on lore here that is pretty important. Lore makes your game. But in order for lore to make your game, you need to record it. And what I mean by that is, you don't have to pre-write it all, but as things happen, write it down, make notes, and fill it out after your session. 
This does two things. One, you will not remember it exact, or at least you shouldn't. And two, it will feel like lore when you make it up and write it down. Just a little trick that I've learned doing this. So let's move on to the next part. So I mentioned it before, but let's talk about player actions. Players make lore every time they ask a question or make a check. Their actions help write the lore of your campaign or setting. If you are running Forgotten Realms and I am running Forgotten Realms, how Ball works is probably different. How Elminster uh, talks to people is different. Same way if you play in Eberron and how you handle the Dragon Houses is going to be different. But their actions help write your lore for your game. I recommend doing things like asking questions. Yeah, I know. Ask your players questions. But all the indie games that have come out over the last couple of years have taught me that there is a way to interact with players to help them GM and create narrative in a fun and exciting way. So there is, and I'm going to relate this to something business-wise, but there is a thing when you're raising venture capital where the amount of skin in the game a person puts in also helps determine how invested they are in what's going on. Make your players put skin in the game. So ask questions. Things like, you make your knowledge check. On the knowledge check, you find out the lore is about this old house. And this house originally was the elder of the community. What are you looking for with this information? Ask them. Put it on them. You've given them a bit. Let them ask questions. And then you should ask things like, Hey, listen, uh, you know this is that house. Um, I gotta ask you, though, how long ago did this elder die? And let them make the lore for it. Write it down. The other thing I like to do is make their family and contacts part of lore. For example, players make huge backgrounds, but we as GMs don't always dig into them. What I have been doing lately is writing down the names and the positions of contacts or family members within their network. And I like to tie them into story through lore. Maybe old things. Maybe things they've done in the past. Or maybe their family name is tied into things. Family names are powerful. I mean, an entire Star Wars MMO was made around the idea that your family is all involved with one another throughout history. So, tie those people in. Items and spells. Great lore. D&D 5e has named spells. Those are named because those are important wizards that have created things. And then if you play um, things like Forgotten Realms, there's even divine magics that are named after gods. Again, important lore. Take those things and spin them into things into your story. The lore of Tensor's Floating Disc it could be an amazing way to do a hook for a game. If they find an entire place full of floating discs, these magical discs, with different treasures on them, all attached to mages that have been petrified by a Medusa, but the spells have been kept active. This could be an amazing way to kind of have this scene. And they can learn about these floating discs if they don't have the spell. That'd be a good way for them to study and maybe pick it up. Magnificent Mansion from Tensor is another great one. If they get pulled in with a wizard to one of these and they ask where they're at, this kind of lore could be something you can draw into your game. But you could do the same for things like an altered, let's just say fireball spell. Maybe you have a guy named Ragnar and he is known for altering how fire works. Maybe he turns it to ice. Maybe his fire spells all catch things ablaze. That kind of stuff makes the lore for your game and there are things that players 
want to be involved in. The last thing is lore should de deliver info. It is a delivery system, no different than like a pill for drugs. You should be using lore to inject things into your game so that your players pick up on it and that they run with it because this will make your job as a GM that much easier. Ask the player. This is going to be controversial. I know in the last one I talked about asking questions, but I mean ask the player like you're playing a narrative game in a non-narrative game. D&D is not the same as playing Blades in the Dark, but the mechanic can be ported over to help develop your lore. For example, when you involve a player in designing lore, they feel ownership. If it's part of their past, a contact, a person, you simply do this. Hey, how is Samantha involved with you? If they tell you, oh, she's a good friend of mine, I grew up together, and you go, well, there is indicators that she is involved in something more. The Thieves Guild has mentioned her description numerous times in books as you guys have been ransacking the last three places. How is she involved? And let them go, oh, uh, yeah, she was kind of a crook when she grew up, but I didn't know she went this deep. By doing so, it puts skin in the game and they feel more involved in what's going on. Ask if you, you know, changed something, how would it relate to them? My example for this is normally, let's say, again, Tensor's Floating Disc, all those spells. What if you said, hey, Tensor doesn't exist in this world, but your family invented every Tensor spell. Your family's last name is, we'll say, Loxen. What, who, where, who developed all these spells for your family? You just put something on a player's plate as a wizard player, or maybe even a warrior who doesn't use these spells, where they go, oh, oh, my family made all these? And now you've given them ownership of something huge and pivotal and contextual to the game, and you've made lore out of the fact that now their family is the one that made all these spells that are known all over. Also, ask players who was involved in lore. So, for Bendelfoe, if I wrote a piece of history saying that he said he was the one that went through the Temple of Trials and defeated the Piratic Hydra. He wrote that, and they found out. I would ask them, who was involved? Did he bring people with him? And if they said, oh yeah, his other brother was there, or they say, no, he sent an army of people to help him with this, and then he, and then he did this, the final blow. These are pieces of lore that now they've created, and they will not forget them. It's important to do it this way, if you don't want to write pages and pages of history in lore that may not get used. Because remember I said, history is written, lore is usually spoken. You're having a conversation at a table with some bullet points, and that conversation creates lore. And then you write it down, and you can make history out of it. But I don't usually pre-write. And you're, I think maybe you're seeing why. Build from it. Now that you have all these dots, it's time to build lore from them. What I mean is, your session's done. You've gotten all this great information. You have this outline. And now you can flesh it out to make canon for your game. Let's build from it. Use what the players have given you. All the things that we've talked about previously, take those, write them down, and make them canon for the game. I've been making a habit of making a canon sheet for a campaign that I just record everything that's become canon. Usually canon means it was either not defined or we have redefined something. Combine your ideas with what your players have given you and make something. With the Bendelfoe, I think, I, I knew he was the history person, and we have a demigod of history 
I was like, well, he's a destroyer of history. He's obviously opposed, but I don't want him to be the person just destroying records for no reason. What do I do? Oh, he doesn't destroy. He rewrites them in his name. And this let me play off of my player to give an arrival to the party. Make sure that you take notes afterwards. Like I said before, if you take them afterwards, they won't be exact, but the lore will be close enough to feel like lore. When I tell the tale of my friend getting in a fight and you tell the tale of that same friend getting in a fight, they aren't going to be identical as their point of views are different. And that makes good lore. So keep that in mind as you're writing things out. I think you can make better lore after a session than before. And then this filling it out afterwards, connecting the dots. When you have enough dots to connect, do it. After the game, just take that 30-minute decompression and write it out when they all leave. I find this works great for me. I usually pour a glass of whiskey, sit down, and start writing. I look through everything I've had, look through the session, look at what I liked, and I analyze how things went and what was good and what I should play up for the next session. Because you had down moments in a game, maybe you can just not play those up next time you play. You can write them off. You can kill that character. You can do whatever to fix them. But don't feel bad if a session didn't go exactly the way you wanted. Build from it. Build from this lore that you've made during the game. The only other thing I have to say about this, and I'm recording this afterwards, is when, I, when you are building your ideas up, if the players are involved in it, you can then take those things and turn them into advantages for your player if you're playing D&D, or boons if the players remember boons for Shadows of the Demon Lord, or bonuses if you're playing Pathfinder and so on. If lore is something that they help create and that it is involving them, give your players a bonus to understanding what's going on the next time you use it. Because it it's they're part of it. They shouldn't forget. You usually don't forget major things like you get unwritten from history or slaying a dragon or whatever it may be. Magic and Monsters, Marks of Men, is now available on Patreon. From award-winning GM Eric Frankhaus comes a new 5th edition setting of High Magic. Learn more at patreon.com forward slash Eric Frankhaus presents. So we're the GM notes section. I've learned a lot running a demigod game. I've learned that you have to make epic lore in a way that I, I wasn't thinking about when I was designing the Divinity rules. I was designing mechanics that allowed players to be something larger than life in 5th edition and grow into it through moats of divinity by slaying other gods in a Highlander style or finding monsters and myth and getting things from them, even finding portfolios and gaining huge amounts of power. But I wasn't thinking about, man, I have to create lore behind all these dead gods, dead creatures from all over the place. And I love doing that stuff, but pre-writing it all out, I was like, oof, Jesus, that's going to be a pain. And instead, what I've been doing is giving myself notes. And in those notes, I just write down divine or not divine, um, ask player question, or I will, if I have like a genius inspiration moment where I'm like, oh, that this creature should cover the entire forest and slither through it as like serpentine mythological, like Kyotoa. And... Those things were fun. I, instead of pre-writing them, just having notes and improving them as I went out. The other thing I was doing was going through rules that I liked and asked myself, how do I make this divine 
and turn into a lore. So rough terrain, uh, one of the guys, when he walks, destroys terrain around him in 15-foot radius. He just makes a wake of destruction. And I was like, that would be great lore about how he alters the battlefield walking through. I also noticed that taking notes after really helped me as a GM. It helped me, one, let the players be involved, feel less railroady, and it also lets me uh, think on the fly and then come back and have history that I can reuse for other games. I have now written down lore that I can have as, as action items in the next thing we play. And then playing up connections was big. I didn't know how much I was going to do it in this game. But doing lore and, and using connections as lore allowed me to do what I, as a GM, we all forget to do. And even players. Players forget to do this all the time. You have contacts. Why are you not involving them in some form or fashion? I think it's the fear of having to do another voice or have another, another person present. But there's many ways to handle that. You could have the person to your right play them and just write down notes so they're involved in the scene, saying, you know, they're this kind of a person. Um, Predation does that for the animal that is with you in the cipher system. You can also involve them just contextually. Like, you don't have to have them present in the scene, but the actions from the past are present, if that makes sense. Those are important things. And I will tell you what I did for Bendelfo. This is... This was one of the best tricks that I have uh, pulled off in quite some time. When they mentioned that they were going to go fight him and kill him, he read it and knew. And the amount of time he had to prep from then until they showed up, I had him make research roles in the players. And then every time he succeeded, he pulled a power from them and it was a power he now had. So he had a duplicate of the sword that um, Balin has, this intelligent sword, uh, Tears Angers. And so he has that, but it's a different version. It's like holy to make himself look good. And he had the AC of one of the other players. He was wearing similar armor and he was really quick, but he hid within the light instead of the dark. And just spun everything into a tail that was pulled from them. I gave him extra reactions. Uh, for each person that he pulled a power from, he got an extra reaction from the round so that he could use his divinity and his ability to strike people and counter a spell more often. This is a 1v5 fight, so he needed the ability to do so. I learned a lot doing that, and I recommend breaking the rules for fights like this, but just warn your players. Like, listen, man, he's doing stuff that is not normal rules. I will tell you what they are when we're playing. Just lean in with me. So... I think that's it for me for GM Notes. I think this episode kind of summarized it well. Um, but have fun with it and, and do something that maybe you're not comfortable with. Uh, in my last tip, lore can be deleted. <laughs> if you write something you don't like, just change it and tell the players, guys, it's okay if you make mistakes. It is, really, I swear. All right, everybody, that is it for episode, what was this, 44? We have 44 already? Well, that's it for this. Um, thank you for all the people who have joined my Patreon recently. Uh, if you're interested in playing Magic and Monsters, Marks of Men, or having a copy of the Divinity Rules as I build them, check me out at Eric Frankhouse Presents on Patreon. I'm also um, putting up Crimson Chains, the first episode, as a free uh, audio-guided adventure. That is going to be going up here by the end of the month. 
I know my patrons already have it, but I'm putting it up for everybody else to try it out. And if you like it, the second one is on uh, for sale already there. You'll have to play them all. You can play them individually, but they are going to be set as a trio that you can play at Trinity. Last, I'm going to be at um, Anime Milwaukee this weekend. And I will also be at PAX East helping Norse, uh, Norse Foundry out at their booth. If you're a DICE fan, these guys are amazing. So that is it for me. I hope you guys are enjoying your new year of gaming. And uh, don't forget you can call into the show. You can use the Anchor app or you can go to the Anchor website and call in. I'll answer your questions. Or if you have questions about things I've said in the show and you want me to dive in deeper, now is your time. That's it for me, everybody. Like always, watch, listen, learn, be a better gamer all.